Greetings, I am Jim. And I am Sean, and we welcome you to our podcast. Our goal is to entertain you with our discussions about RPG, fantasy, and everything in between. Come sit by the fire. You're safe here. We'll keep watch. We hope you enjoy 13-Sided Die. Level 1, Episode 4. You stand at the beginning of a long path leading into the dark woods and are unsure how to begin your journey. Well, my friends, we are here to support you and discuss how to start your own D&D adventure. Come listen to us speak about finding others to join you, how to create characters, how to roleplay, and most of all, how to have fun at the table. You can also witness us giving a shout out to our robot overlords and then see if you can hear the beep when they respond back. Uh, hey guys, we are here. And we just talked about not going um and ah, and I just did it at the beginning of the show. Nice. <laughs> See how so many times we can do it. <laughs> uh, welcome everybody. Uh, yeah, so we had talked about this episode, the main topic being discussing kind of starting out in Dungeons and Dragons, which is really an exciting thing for us to chat about. But our good friend here, Mr. Jim, had asked if we could maybe talk about something first. And it's kind of exciting. So what would you like to just chat a little bit about, Jim? Well, you know, I have to bring up Dragonlance. Every Are episode. you? Really? And I wanted to hear your thoughts on, because I know you're reading the Dragons of Deceit book. Yeah. I kind of wanted to know what you thought of it. And I thought I'd say what I thought. And Spoiler free, of course. Yeah, I think we need to be careful there. Um, yeah, I'm really excited. Uh, I'll tell you something that's really funny because, um, the other day I put that up on, um, Instagram has that silly little notes thing, which I have no idea what it's for, but I said, is anyone else reading Dragons of De- Deceit? And a few people responded to me, yeah, I'm reading it too. And I got into a chat with somebody and they talked about, and Jim, what is it? It's the fourth book from the War of the Lance that they did years later. It's called Dragons of, is it Dragons of Summer? Summer Flame, yeah. Summer Flame, yeah. I, I actually never read that one. And uh, they were saying how they thought that was just horrible. They, they felt that book really kind of kind of dipped the whole series down and that kind of stuff and everything. But they did say that they are reading Dragon's Deceit and they were, were a little leery going into it because of that, but how happy they are with how it, how it is going so far through what they're reading. And I have to say, like, uh, yeah, I think, I think it's great. I, I think they're totally back in stride. It's phenomenal. Um, I, I love the tone of it. Um, again, we don't want to give spoilers away, but I was actually kind of shocked when it came to like the book two of it. I'm about, I'm probably about a third of the way, uh, through the book, almost halfway. And all of a sudden it's like book two and it's like, whoop, you leave your main characters that you started with and you're onto another whole group of people. And you're like, whoa, 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 what just, ha- I, w- I want to know what's going on over here. And it's a good book. will do that. It'll throw you. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's building up fun characters. Uh, I love Again, it's not spoilers, but I love how it's written in and around the War of the Lance. And it's almost like it doesn't trivialize it, but it minimizes it. Like it doesn't make it as big as it was when we read it in the first, you know, trilogy, which is really interesting. And they talk about things in and around it and mention some of the people like Derek Crownguard. You hear his name. You're like, oh, I know that dude. He's a dick. Um, And, you know, stuff like that. And I think that's really cool how they've woven it into that. uh, You know that I know you hate the book, though, don't you? Oh, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> no, I uh, I was just going to say the, the book, it, I, I found it had a slow burn at the start. Yeah. Then and it takes off like a firework. I was like, That's come awesome. on. I was like, what's going on here? First couple chapters. I was like, hmm. and <laughs> it really feels like Dragonlance, though. It uh, 
Yeah. Like you said, it takes place right after the War of the Land. So there's lots of familiar people and places from the original Dragonlance trilogy, but it still introduces new uh, characters and had a whole new story. Um, yeah, I just want to say that it gives me the feeling of coming back to the end of the last home for some famous uh, spiced potatoes. Just telling tales with my adventure buddies. Around the around the roaring fire. Yeah. Just really feels feels like Dragonlance. I think the only concern I have about it is how long we're gonna have to wait for the second book. Uh, every summer they're coming out. Are they coming out every summer? Good. I was hoping it was gonna be something like that. So that's not too bad. Um cool. it, it it's gripping though. Like I mean I picked it up and I think in one day I was sitting out on the back deck and read like 75, 80 pages in a kind of a sitting because I was just enjoying it. Yeah, we're definitely two different people, Sean. It's killing me that I have to wait till next summer for the next one. Are you kidding oh, me? Oh, come and on. And then another year for the conclusion? <laughs> Dude, come on. Think about like Game of Thrones. Martin would be like like years and uh, years between books. So yeah, I think that's pretty good one year. That's not bad. It's already written though. <laughs> the... Dude, it, you, you've chatted with uh, Margaret before. Send her a message and just tell her to send you an advanced copy. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure she will. <laughs> yeah, awesome. it's pretty pretty stellar. It's a, I I would highly recommend it to anybody out there. Uh, it's a it's a really good book. Yeah, and then the other thing I wanted to talk about was uh, Sean. You were right about the Rings of Power being underrated. They killed it. I'm Didn't loving they? it. Uh, I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan, of course, and I was lucky enough to watch the first two episodes with my uh, best friend, who's like a super fan. Yeah, he got me into Lord of the Rings when I was a kid. So like. Just uh, really cool watching that. It's visually stunning, telling an epic story, but like they're, they're doing it their own way. They're not trying to be Peter Jackson 2.0, which yeah. I think is really cool because like not even Peter Jackson can be Peter Jackson 2.0 <laughs> as we've seen in the Hobbit movies. Yep. Right. So what you think of it? Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm a, a big uh, Tolkien fan and uh, I will say that 20 years or so ago, I had a pretty good knowledge of the prehistory of Lord of the Rings. I, you know, had read the Silmarillion and was really into it. And it's been 20 some odd years. I've gotten older and I've forgotten a lot of it. But my younger son, who is um, 28, is really gotten into it in the last few years. And so he's very up on the, the lore and the mythology of that time. Like, he's a smart kid too, smarter than his dad. So he remembers a lot of the stuff. And he uh, really... Um, he was like me. He went into it very optimistic, but a little cautious. And, uh, you know, and we were chatting. I mean, they, they've condensed timelines and certain things are happening that really would have happened quite a far between each other, but they kind of put them together. But that's just a storytelling device. That's just to help make it a cohesive story. Um, I, I think they're being quite truthful. I know there's a lot of hubbub on the web about that there is um, dark colored skin elves and there's all this kind of stuff. And that's just a whole bunch of garbage I don't need to get wrapped up in. I'm there for a good story and I just want to enjoy it. And, and I've been blown away. Like I, I I did tell you, I thought it was underrated in the sense of can the anticipation, just wait and let it happen and see how it goes. And there's so many online stories about they're killing Tolkien, they've ruined Tolkien and all this kind of stuff when they'd seen like a two minute clip. Like, come on. Yeah. Uh, I think it's stunning. It's visually just eye candy, like so much. It's so great to watch. Um, the stories are so much fun. Uh, not giving anything away, but there's, uh, there is a bit of people talking about how Galadriel is far more of a fighter here and she's really much more of a magic user. Galadriel's a very old elf and I think you're seeing, even at this stage, I know she's quite old, but you're, I think you're seeing, like, seeing an earlier person who would be more... Um, 
quick with the sword than they would be with a spell. Do you know what I mean? Like that's a thing of wisdom and age. And I think the Gladriel you see in Lord of the Rings is that one, again, like 3,000 years later, who's become much wiser and isn't going to be rash and fight with a sword. I like the kick-ass Galadriel that we see. It's cool. Um, so anyways, I'm rambling. Love it. I think they're doing a great job. Very excited for them to keep going. And, uh, you know, you, they drop a name like, you know, the, 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 my son Isildur, and you're like, oh, and you like, you kind of shiver and you get all excited. Like, it's so cool. Uh, beautiful. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. And Galadriel's like a teenager, basically. Right? One, right? Like, yeah, elves live. That I heard actually that the elves, um, what was it? Like they don't die if they don't go to their, uh, what's it called? The gray havens. Yeah. They don't go there. They'll just, their body disintegrates and their soul. Just yeah. Like keep living on. So that's why we were getting like tree spirits and all that good stuff. So yeah. Yeah. And, awesome and, show. And you know, again, it's so hard to talk about without saying stuff, but the, the scene of them going into the Grey Havens, you know, on the sailboat was just so cool and epic. And that, you know, that hand reaching out to the other hand mm-hmm. type of feeling. And, you know, uh, it was done so fantastically. Like, it was just so epic. Um, silly little things that get me excited. Like when she, God, it's so hard to say stuff. But there's a point when um, she's looking at an old painting. And on the old painting, it's showing Elrond. And if you look, it's like done so well. It's it's really painted after the actor, which I don't know the gentleman's name, who plays Elrond. And you can really see his facial figures, you know, facial features in it. And that's so cool to me, like those details. Yeah. And it's uh, it's pretty exciting. Yeah. Um, I guess the only mild complaint I'd have, and uh, we were talking about this with my son the other day, as watching the last episode, I thought the we both agreed about this. We felt that the warg that they use, the orcs warg, was. I don't know. It almost felt like I was watching like Pumbaa or something in um, uh, Lion King or something. It just, it wasn't quite as vicious to me. It looked almost a bit comical. Um, This is nitty gritty, like just being a silly little thing. Like I would, I would like it to be a bit more looking ferocious. It was ferocious in the way it attacked people, but I thought it looked a little bit comical almost like. Uh, That's my only little nitpicky thing. Uh, Everything Mm -hmm. else has been so phenomenal. It's not even really worth mentioning, but. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, they spent a billion dollars on it. So, I mean, yeah, it looks real nice. <laughs> Stunning. Like, I guess they're going to make their money back, but it's crazy to me, right? Like, yeah, we spent 20 bucks on this whole thing, man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same production value. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Cool. Is that uh, anything else you want to chat about that or? No, oh, that's, that's everything. You guys check oh. that out. <laughs> yeah. Highly recommended by the two of us. There you go. So uh, today's uh, main topic is talking about uh, starting out in Dungeons and Dragons. I I know a lot of our listeners are already players. Uh, I get that or have played before. Uh, We understand that. But, uh, you know, it's kind of nice to talk about, you know, the roots of it and and how to get into the game. Uh, There's a lot of people out there who haven't played. There are more people playing D&D right now than there has ever been. It's so popular. Um, You know, I, I... you guys heard me talk about this before. I came from a time when you didn't tell people you played D&D because you just didn't want to get an earful about why were you, you know, uh, in love with the devil, basically. It just wasn't worth going there because people just didn't understand. It's almost now weirder if you don't play D&D, uh, which is funny. Um, so for those of you out there who have played and are players, sit back, enjoy the ride, reminisce and that. For those of you that haven't played, uh, yeah, you know, give an ear and hear what we have to say about this phenomenal game because it is truly the best game in the world. Um, D&D dates back to the early 70s, uh, kind of its 
first, you know, versions. Uh, you guys have heard us talk about Gary Gygax and Dave Arnson, who um, put it together. Uh, we're kind of the, the forefathers of the, the game. And um, I, I think, Jim, one of the things to me that I find most interesting, and I kind of want to get your opinion on it, is that if, if someone's never played before, they go. a lot of people can think of it as kind of like you're playing a game like, you know, Catan or Monopoly. or And those are great games. Don't get me wrong. But this is calling it a game is kind of a diff is, is almost an injustice. You got to really call it a, a life experience because you don't sit down and play it in one night. Like if you play a one shot, they do exist and you can play that. But traditionally you play D and D over a course of many, many games that are all interlinked into a long ongoing campaign that tells a whole story. And that literally can be years. And a lot of times at the end, there's no winner. Like it's not like someone even really wins a lot of the times. Like your party might do something really great and achieve a big goal, but it's not like there's a distinct winner. Um, your thoughts on that? Uh, with that, yeah, I got here in my notes. Uh, what is D&D? Dungeons and Dragons is a collaborative storytelling experience where the dungeon master and players roll dice to determine the rate of success. You know, just it's storytelling at its finest, oh, honestly. It is. And then for those of you that haven't played, and I keep saying that like a broken record, but bear with me, um, it, it's this idea of a DM, or if you're playing something that's not Dungeons and Dragons, it might be called a GM or a game master. And the idea is that's the person kind of in charge of the game. And they're kind of no, pretty much kind of like what's going on. And they help, they help shepherd the players through the game. There's a, a loose storyline that they're trying to, uh, you know, explain to you. And the players listen and interact and they build upon it. And I always say that a good DM creates a bunch of story hooks, a whole line of story hooks. They go off in different directions and all that kind of stuff. And the players with the DM then fill all the information and the events and everything fun that happens on those hooks. And together they build this beautiful story. And um, I think that's kind of a way of describing a little bit. Um, I will say that if you are interested in getting into the game, probably the hardest thing you're going to find is locating a DM. Uh, just like if you're in a band and you want to start uh, playing music, you've probably got five guitarists lined up, a few bass guitarists, and you can't find a drummer. D&D, uh, &D, a DM is kind of like that drummer. It's that person that's the harder one to find. You will also realize very quickly, D&D &D is also like being in a band because you cannot get everyone together to practice. You can't get everyone together for a game uh, because games can be anywhere from a couple of hours to six, seven, ten hour in, in length. And so it's hard to get everyone to agree on a day where you can be together for all that time. If you can find someone to be that DM and you got to hunt for it, um, the biggest thing that you can do, the best service you can do to yourself in a game is try the best to play with people like-minded and play with, if you can, with friends. Uh, you, if you pick up a random group from somewhere, that's totally cool. It's nothing wrong with that, but you have, it, it is a game of trust. It's kind of like you need to act a little silly. You need to have some fun. You need to put yourself out there. And it's a little bit harder to do that around people you don't really know. And so if it's people that you know, you tend to be in a, a bit more of a trust group. So you're more than willing to, to try different things and do stuff like that. And, you know, you're not going to feel too awkward. So I, I think it's really cool if you can try and find people that, that you know that, to do that with. Yeah, there's a big stigma around uh, that it's bad that DMs railroad you. It's honestly, that's their job, though. Yeah. It's just, it sounds bad, but they're keeping the story on track. So you'll have fun and do all the things. And it's not just trying to wrangle cats the whole time. 
Yeah, the, the two biggest things that people talk about in Dungeons & Dragons in the sense of how it's played is that Jim said either a railroad, which means the story's on a track and you can't really deviate from it too much. So the DM's going to kind of keep sending you down that track. Or you play in a sandbox, which means you can go anywhere, do anything, do whatever. And that sounds really exciting from a player perspective. But what you have to remember is that when you have um, a... When you have a game that has been set up by a DM that is kind of bit on a what we say on a railroad, then he knows certain things are going to happen. So he's got a lot of he sorry or she has a lot of very exciting things lined up for you and very organized stuff to make the gameplay really interesting for you. If you go in the sandbox, which sounds exciting because you can do anything and all the options are open, you're making the DM make up stuff on the spot, which is fun for a DM to an extent. But I find you don't ever have as coherent of a game, as exciting of a game, and you don't have that story because if it's something that DM has kind of pre-thought through, then there's points of the story that you'll pick up on, plot points that you'll need three games later. But if it's in the sandbox, it's hard to think of that stuff on the spot. Um, prime example is the last campaign that we played. It lasted um, three and a half years. Uh, players went from that first level up to about level, they're around level 17 or so, I think, when we finished. And um, so, yeah, you level up just like you would in a video game. Video games take leveling up from Dungeons & Dragons. That's kind of where the first place it really existed. Um, and so they were a much higher level. But they um, they were on kind of a bit more of a railroad story that I'd put together for them because I had a few players that had never played before and uh, that some of the players had never played with each other before. So it was nice to try and have it a little bit more set the campaign we're in now that we've been playing for uh, just over two years, uh, I had set it up more of a sandbox in a way. Um, I thought of key certain things. I figured out the world that they're in. Um, and then I put tons and tons of people that I knew in that world. I figured I created a bunch of characters and then some basic plot points between it. And I allowed them a lot more freedom to do stuff. Um, and, uh, but still with some, you know, direction on things and it's worked really, really well. And it's made me have to be more on my toes during the game. So I think it's good to get that blend between them. But when you're starting out, I highly recommend playing a module. Um, I know you've played the Minds of Fendalver before. I've not played it, but it's a great starting point. And by playing a module, the DM and the players can learn together on how the game works. Yeah. And it all has to do with how experienced your DM is too. If you have a really experienced DM, it's a lot easier for them. They know all the ropes. If someone's just starting out, they are they have to railroad you. That's how yeah. you learn how to play the game, right? Yeah, completely. An experienced DM, you know, someone like myself or Jim, we make up our own games. We don't really, you know, we will play modules as well. But for the most part, my world is completely what's called homebrew. I've just made the whole thing up using the rule set from D&D. But, you know, but playing the adventure itself is kind of made up in my own kind of story that I write with the players on the fly. Um, one of the things people talk about, we should maybe discuss this, is uh, people call it a role-playing game. And again, people new to this don't always understand. It's not R-O-L-L, -L, like roll the dice, which seems to make sense because there is dice rolling. But it's R-O-L-E in the sense of a role that you take on, much like a theatrical role. And that role is the one of your character. And so uh, I would also recommend to anybody getting into the game, uh, at the beginning you pick... You know, what race do you want to be? And so you can pick between elves and humans and dwarves and gnomes. And there's like so many different races now. Um, and that's really exciting. So pick something fun and interesting that, that it, it, you know, really sparks some interest in you. And then you pick a class, which could be like a fighter or a cleric, like a holy healer or a wizard or a ranger. There's so many different classes and there's more, it seems, all the time. Um, what I try and say to people new to it is 
um, go one of two ways. Either pick something that's very close to you, so then it it's not so hard to play it because it feels a lot like you. Or pick something not like you at all and just really go the other direction and have fun with it. And that's the great thing about it. You create, you literally create a character um, and you see it build and grow with time and things happen to that character that becomes part of their story and you just build upon it. And it's so exciting to see, you know, somebody's character from when you first started the game to where it's at, you know, two years later, it's, it, there's a whole history to that character. It's so exciting. Yeah. Find a flaw for your character. That's something that you can keep falling back on. They know that's going to be their flaw and something that they're good at too, right? It kind of helps you make yeah. your character a little better. I made a uh, two two big lists that you rolled on die 100s uh, for my players when they create characters. And um, they can uh, roll on the good list, which gives you a really cool thing to start with. But if you roll on the good list, you have to roll once on the bad list. And the bad list is like something like that. Like you get a weird character flaw or something that happens to you. Or you can actually pick the one you want on the good list, but then you have to roll twice on the bad list. So it's really kind of neat thing when you're building a character. And so, you know, we had a, a guy, um, a good friend of ours, Russell, play with us now and played uh, in our previous campaign. And he hadn't played before. And he uh, got the ability. Um, he it was really interesting because the character worked out that he was blind, but he could kind of almost like daredevil see where he could almost make things out in his mind kind of idea. And so he created a whole character around this and he was... Um, playing a cleric and he had it that part of his order had slit his eyes with a dagger that like was part of a thing of their order and so Ooh. he couldn't see and he he worked this whole negative thing into his character and it became a really interesting to play it was so cool um and i give him a lot of credit for doing that and that character oh boy went on to be this epic character in our game and a whole chunk of the game was positioned around his character because of this way he had built it and it made me want to do things and that's the whole trick as a player, inject yourself and inject ideas into the game. And if you have a good DM, they're going to pick up on that and they're going to throw that back at you. They're going to you know, work with you on that and build stuff and, and do things. So it's it's a very cool thing. It is it is a really hard thing to describe. And I, I would recommend anyone who's interested in playing to look up uh, online where people have pl who play online. Um, you guys always hear me talk about Critical Role. That's a great one to watch, but also remember that these guys are like top-notch actors, amazing voice actors. So their their level of play is insanely good, and it won't be like that for everybody. But there's lots of other other people out there, and I would say check out some of those to get an idea of how the game is played. Um, and don't try to copy or don't expect it to be like that, but it'll just give you an idea of how it comes together because it's such an interesting, you know, phenomenon type of thing to be involved in. Find that role play role playing makes you a better person too, because it makes you uh, like walk a mile in someone else's shoes. Like you're talking totally. about, like your player that ha was blind, right? Lots of people don't think about what it'd be like to be blind, but for four hours a week or however often you play, he's playing a blind person. You're like, and then when the DM says, "Oh, you can't," you're gonna have a lot of trouble here because you can't see. Yep. You know, kind of helps you understand more. Yeah, and it was really interesting because he could see things, but he couldn't see colors. Everything he saw was in kind of a monotone state. So those we had to remember that that was part of a thing. You couldn't refer to colors because he couldn't he couldn't understand colors. Or if you did, he didn't know what you're talking about. And um, here's a great example that I always talk to a lot of people about to help understand the game. So there's the knowledge of what the people in the room know, like the people sitting around the table, the players, they know everything that's going on in because they see it all. 
But what you have to remember is that they're playing a character who might not have all that knowledge that the player has. So here's an example. Jim and I are playing and I'm in the great hall and Jim is off the side of the hall in the kitchen, right? So my character is in the hall and say my character gets attacked by, you know, this big ogre that comes crashing through the door and starts attacking me. Jim, the person knows that's happening. But Jim's character, who's in the kitchen digging through the cupboards looking for food because he's hungry, doesn't know that I've just been attacked unless maybe he heard the door get smashed open or something. And so as a DM, you would be if, if Jim said as a player, oh, you know, my character runs in the kit out, out of the kitchen to go and help Sean's character. The D, a good DM would say, how do you know that? How do you know he needs help? You're in another room. You don't know he needs help. But and I heard it's, the crash. Yeah, you could say, okay, you heard the crash. The DM say, okay, give me a perception roll. And Jim rolls like a five. He goes, I'm sorry, you didn't hear it. You keep yeah. looking in the cupboards, you don't know. And it's a hard thing for people to understand, but you have to step back and think of it through the, you know, what's going on with those characters, not what's going on with the players at the table. And uh, once people get the hang of it, they understand. Uh, and I'm, people hate me. People hate playing with me because I'm a stickler to it, man. Like I will, like... They'll be like, you got to go help him. I'm like, dude, I'm in the kitchen. I don't hear anything. I'm digging through the couch. Like, no, 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 he's, he's dying. I was like, well, I'm really sorry, but I don't know that he's dying. And they can't understand why I won't go help him. But it's like, it's not that I don't want to. It's that my character honestly doesn't know about it. So I'm not going to, you know, alter time and space to do this if it's something that I don't know. Um, so it's it's very interesting. It's, it's a fun game uh, to do that. The majority of it is played in the mind. We call it the theater of the mind. So as the DM is explaining the situation, and we talked last game about how a DM would describe the room and how it looks, how it feels, how it smells, uh, all those things, and what's going on in it, you kind of imagine it in your mind. And that little scenario we talked about, the DM might say, yeah, you know, you're in this kitchen area and over to the side, there's the main hall and the hall's roughly this big. And so we're all imagining that. And then this ogre crashes in and starts attacking. At that point, you might play out the fighting scenario again in your minds, or the DM may put something down on the table, say, okay, this is the, the main hall, here's the ogre, here's where Sean's character is, and here's a kitchen, and here's Jim's character over here. And so all of a sudden we have stuff on the table, and it's really just to help us understand where people are at and what's going on. And if Jim does here, does he have enough movement to get over to me? Can he do it in one turn, or is it gonna take two turns to get there? And it's just to help with the mechanics a little bit. Yeah. The, I was just going to say the mechanics for sure is why you use, well, that's why I was bringing mansions, right? Yeah. I find it helps hugely. Uh, it really does, especially in battles. And if it's a big battle with a lot of people around it, it can be hard for people to remember where everybody is and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, your character has um, what's called stats. A lot of it, again, what, you know, video games have based themselves on around what, uh, what D and D is about. So it's from like strength, intelligence, wisdom, uh, charisma, dexterity, constitution. These are all things that as people, we have these ourselves. Uh, if you're not very balanced, if you're not that good, you probably have a low dexterity. Um, so you, when you're rolling up a character, you get certain numbers to those attributes and they give you benefits, bonuses, or negatives if they're lower. And that helps build your character. So it's all based on these, uh, these things. And as you go up in levels, you gain more strength, uh, in sense of hit points. So you can last longer. Uh, some of these stats can go up as well at certain times. Um, leveling up is always a fun time. Oh, yes. Yeah, and then you roll on those stats, right? Like Sean was saying before with uh, hearing, so, you know. Yeah, perception roll. Perception. So then you roll it, and then you get certain bumps for that. So 
Yeah. Um, we should probably say too, so to actually start playing, you need the core books if you're playing 5e. Yep. So you'll need a player's handbook, monster manual, and DMG. Yep. And that's it for books. That's really? Yeah. And and so and if you're playing it with modules, you can even get by and not even have a, a, a monster manual at that point, because if you're playing a module, a lot of the monsters will be built into for you and you might get the mo- the monster manual later. Yeah. Um, I think something that people really need to understand as well, and I, I've had players or people talk about this and they're like, yeah, I want to have this boss ass character. He's going to be like so strong and he's going to know everything. And then he's going to have a tiger. I want him to have a pet tiger. And it's like, dude, that is awesome. The game doesn't work that way. The, the game works that you start at a low level and what you're describing is your character a year from now, you know, that you build towards that. And you all start off at the beginning with only a couple of hit points. Like you literally can get knocked unconscious with one strike from somebody who's got quite a bit of strength. So you're very, what we call squishy at the beginning. And, you know, for that person that wanted the tiger, what I would say is like, okay, yeah, you know what? You have a pet cat and the cat is raggy ass cat. It's all matted fur and it's stinky. That's your tiger right now. And then maybe at a certain point when you're like level 10, something inside the cat comes to life and it's magical and on command you can turn that cat into a tiger and that's a neat way and you grow into it people and i think part of it is the world and society that we live in now where people want everything immediately dnd is not immediate you you literally build your character piece by piece by piece uh each level you go up which if you can adjust to that and understand it it's so excellent to build that character and have fun with it and get to a new level and decide, Ooh, I can, I can do this or I can do that. Which one do I want to do? And how would it make my character better? And it's just a very exciting thing. Also wanted to mention as a DM myself, I love what's called a backstory. So if a character uh, player comes to me in the game with a character and says, Hey, this is my character. They're an elf. They come from this strange family of elves that have been secluded from everybody for a thousand years. They live off in the wilds and and they've got a backstory that they've developed. And this is why my character does this. And this is why my character does that. And, you know, that's excellent. And then the DM be like, okay, that's really cool. How can I weave that story into the main story so that maybe six games from now, an elf from their lands meets up with them who's been lost or, you know, whatever. And you can really work with a lot of really cool stuff. So Think about that character when you're making it and think about what is their story? Where did they come from? What is their history? What's their family's history? Um, you 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 like the backstory, don't you, Jim? I love the backstories. I was going to say with, uh, yeah, like use whatever medium you're good at for D&D to help you enjoy it more. Like you said, uh, writing. If you're good at writing, write an awesome backstory for your guy. If you're a DM, you can write lore, whatever. If you're good at drawing, you can draw your character. You can draw NPCs if you're the DM, anything in your imaginary world. If you're good at computers, you can make a slideshow with photos. Or, yep. but I'm not good with computers, so I don't know exactly what you could do, but <laughs> I'm sure that there's lots that you could. Or music, you could play actual music as a bard or put together epic playlists for your game. Like totally. Anything that you're good at. And the thing to remember, and it goes back to our, our conversation about game immersion, it's just about getting into it and having fun. Um, let yourself go. If you want to create a character voice for your new character, do it, have fun with it. And again, you know, never make fun of somebody at the table. Cause you'd never want someone to make fun of you. Like, it's just, I mean, we all laugh at each other, like have a giggle, but when no one's ever poking fun or making somebody feel bad, like it's never that. And, uh, trust me, if you can get to that point, like I've played in some epic, amazing games where everybody is in character talking like their characters, 
conversing for like hours on end, solving, figuring stuff out, meeting people, doing stuff. And it's just, it's, it's amazing. You know, and I've, you've heard me say before as a DM sometimes I'll be sitting here and it's like watching TV. Like I'm literally watching these idiots have so much fun and doing things. And it's almost like you're watching a show right before your eyes. It's so cool. Um, and the rolling of dice is part of the game, but to me, it's one of the smaller parts of the game. It's actually about all that's doing is just deciding certain things. It's almost like a fate role in a way. Um, everything else is just the things that the characters are saying they're doing and experiencing and what's going on. Um, you know, and don't be afraid of bringing stuff to things either. Like <clears throat> I was in a game and I knew, um, it had cut off at this point. And a lot of times the DM will cut off kind of almost like, you know, a, a Saturday morning serial, like a Flash Gordon where something exciting is happening. Oh no. And that's right where the game stops. And you've got like a full couple of weeks or whatever to think about what happens next when you start the game. And this had happened in one of our, our games that I was playing uh, as a player in. And so I thought, you know what? It'd be really cool if on this building that we were watching, <clears throat> if there was a note on the side of the building that when the people went there, they would read it and it would misdirect them. And, um, I wrote, I thought, yeah, that'd be cool. So I was going to write it in a code and I uh, made it a very simple code that they'd be able to figure out. But so I literally did that. I took a piece of paper, wrote it out, did it in a code, figured it all out, put it together. I folded it over. I put a little wax seal on it and everything. I had a lot of fun with it. And then in the game, the DM's like, okay, so what are you guys going to do? And I said, so I'm going to write a, I'm going to write a letter that's written in code. And I explained everything I'm doing. And the DM was like, that's really cool. Okay. I like that. I said, I said, okay, here's the letter. And I just reached over the table and handed it to the DM and like, what? And it's like the player was creating stuff for the game, you know, and, and they thought that was the coolest thing in the world. They loved it. And they re and then you could just see their excitement and they really got into it. And then it became a big thing in that game for, for everybody. So, you know, it depends on the DM, but most DMs are going to be very willing for you to help tell the story. It helps them out. The DM has so much to do. If other people are adding to the story, it, it's just the best way to be. Yeah. The more, it's definitely one of those things where the more you put in, the more you get out of it. And there's going to be certain players that don't work with you. There's there's groups I don't play in anymore because it's just their style isn't for me, you know, and that's fine. And that's it's all about finding your right group. And in that group, too, there's going to be people that play different ways. There's some people, uh, you know, in, in the group that I DM that really are all about the battle. That's their favorite part is about the fights and the battle where there's other people that really don't care less about the battle. For them, it's the story and getting to help build and add to that story and solve what's going on. And that's obvious. People are going to be different in life. Of course they are. And so it's really just up to each person and what, what they're doing and, and what they want to do. And, and again, how it meshes as a team. If we're all the same, life would be boring. So it's good that the people are different. Yeah. Um, one thing I would like to um, chat about, and uh, maybe we'll do that here in a second. I think maybe we'll take a little break. Uh, but when we come back, I wouldn't mind chatting a little bit about alignment. All right. Cool. Fantasy Factoid. Dungeons and Dragons was clearly influenced by Lord of the Rings, so much so that in the early editions of D&D, you could go on adventures where you were a hobbit, met Ents, and even faced off against Balrogs. This, as you may have guessed, turned into a legal battle. The Tolkien estate sued Dungeons and Dragons for using the words dragon, dwarf, elf, ent, goblin, hobbit, orc, Balrog, and warg. As a result, all but hobbit, ent, and Balrog were ruled as public domain. And that is this episode's Fantasy Factoid. All right, uh, we are back. And uh, when we left off, just before we went to our Fantasy Factoid, we talked about something called alignment. 
this is not played so much now. It's not as much of an emphasis, I find, but in the old versions of D&D, it was a big thing. And, and alignment really is just your natural compass within you, like what guides you, your morals, your direction. And an alignment runs from uh, good, neutral, evil in one direction, and the other way is lawful, neutral, and chaotic. So you pick kind of that, and it breaks into a, a quadrant. I think we might even chatted about this in one of our episodes a little bit. Um, great example is Robin Hood is, um, you know, Rob from the rich, good to the poor. So he's chaotic because of the way he does stuff. He doesn't follow laws. Obviously, he's a lawbreaker. He's chaotic in what he does in his actions, but he's of good nature. He's giving to the poor. He's all about trying to overthrow the evil tyrant. Um, so he's chaotic good. Uh, personally, one of my favorite um, uh, alignments to play. But the yeah. thing is, to me, and um, I've had a lot of discussions with people about this, as a DM, I don't like playing with characters, with players that are of an evil alignment. It's it's not interesting to me. Um, I prefer to play uh, being completely uh, of good nature and or neutral, but not evil. Evil doesn't really make sense to me to play that. Um, evil characters can be evil to other players. And the thing to remember is you're a team on this. Like you're, you're playing it as a, as a group. You're not playing it against each other. It's not a, this person's better than that person and you're trying to fight them. It's completely about doing it as a team. So if you have evil players in the group, that can really take away from it. Now, there are exceptions. And the exceptions to that for me are when you're a much more experienced player. Uh, anyone who has read the Dragonlance series, the, the first books, um, Heroes of the Lance, would know that uh, one of the main characters in there, Raceland, uh, Jim's favorite, the magic user, is pretty much an evil character. Um, but he works with the party because it helps achieve his goals. Um, so it can completely can be done. Um, I think I taught you guys about a uh, time when I played at the very beginning of a campaign and I got a lucky shot with an arrow and I did maximum damage and double damage and all this kind of stuff. And I took out this person that probably none of us were supposed to be able to take out. And on inspecting the body, I found a ring. I was a thief. I took the ring, didn't tell anybody. And it turned out it was, we were playing in Middle Earth. It was kind of like a lesser ring, but it made you invisible. And that was really cool. And that in our world, then that was a really hard thing to be able to do is turn invisible. And I used it in clutch moments, but the more I used that ring, the more of my soul got sucked away. And in the epic climax of our whole uh, campaign, I used the ring one last time to try and save my friends. But I did, but it sucked the last of my soul. So I literally went away to Mordor and became an evil spirit, um, which was really epic. And that's a neat way of looking at it being evil. But just playing, you know, people use the term murder hobos, running around, just killing and doing whatever. I have zero interest in that. It's not a thing that interests me at all. I want a heroic character. I want someone to rise from maybe small nothing and rise up to be this amazing hero and get caught up in a whole adventure and have to do stuff. That That's way more interesting for me. And I, I've just kind of taken this whole conversation away and been yattering on forever. So, Jim, your comments on alignment and maybe heroic characters. No, that's awesome. Uh, I'll, honestly, I only use alignment to wrangle pr trouble players or players that, you know, they like to just steal stuff or they just want the loot. And yeah, they, and I, I use it to remind them like, hey, your guy's lawfully good. You wouldn't be doing this or, yeah, you know, and that only that, though, I, I usually don't mess with it, though, too much. Just kind of let everyone. Yeah. What would your character do? And then if they're going evil, all right, I guess that's the path your character's taken. 
Um, in our current campaign, I'm not as much on it. But in our previous campaign, uh, and it's the first time I had DM'd in a while, I just brought it back in. And I actually did it very, very traditional where you actually keep an alignment map. And I kept maps on each player. So if they did a thing that was altered to their true alignment, I'd mark it. And the cleric we talked about who was blind, he kept doing really crazy shit every once in a while. Like he would just be doing like crazy stuff. And it was really erratic, which tied to his character, but the stuff was so crazy, it was actually going against his alignment. So as I was mapping it out, he was getting further and further away from his alignment. And it was really cool because I he got to this one part and it was this, he'd become obsessed with an NPC, this female NPC, and he had fallen in love with her. And he was a cleric and they had a vow of celibacy and he wasn't even supposed to be with her. And he, at one moment, he, he couldn't take it any longer and she was leaving and he grabbed her and he kissed her. Right before she left, kissed, took her and kissed her on the lips, and it was. I said, "That's it." In my head, like, "That's it." He's, he's totally got it. So I said, "At that moment, there's this like clash of lightning, and he falls to his knees, and he's been the spirit that makes him a cleric has been taken away from him, and he's a fallen cleric at that moment." And we had to go through a whole three or four, maybe five session expedition he went on to try and become a cleric again. And it took a whole side story to us and became very epic in that whole tale. And it was so cool. And it was all because of these little decisions he kept making. And that was really fun to do that because it came a huge part of the story because he was going against his alignment. And so for me, that also works really well. If you do, you don't have to, I got crazy and I, I just got really silly and tracked it in a graph and went nuts, but you don't have to do that. But if you, like Jim said, if you see your characters going against kind of their true nature, it's good to mark it. And then you can do really cool stuff for them. You can take something away from them, and then they have to go and try and get it back. And it, anyways, yeah. I, I think it's it's a good thing to do. I recommend um, not playing with evil characters because they're just, they're so completely random and it makes it hard as a DM to keep track of things and they have no recourse. They can do anything they kind of want. And that takes away a lot of fun from the game, I think, if it's just totally wide open and the players at the table can't trust anybody. And I don't know, for me, it's just not a fun thing. Uh, unless it's a one shot, then I would highly, oh, yeah, yeah. highly recommend going evil. Uh, we had one one shot where we were trying to get a book or something. Anyways, at the end, one of my buddies was dying and he had this magic book. And I just sat there and I just watched him bleed out because I was an evil wizard, right? I was an evil orc shaman and I wanted the book and he had it. And I was like, well, I don't know if he's going to give it to me. Probably not because he's evil, too. <laughs> so I just want, and then I'm sitting there, I'm watching them bleed out and the players staring at me like, Oh, are you serious? You're just going to let me bleed out. And we're just all <laughs> laughing at the table because we're all evil. <laughs> yeah. I, I agree with that completely. A one shot would be great. Uh, if it was an ongoing long campaign, it'd be real would, hard. It'd be hard. And as a DM, I wouldn't want to be the DM for it. It just, it doesn't have interest for me. Um, and you know, it's funny because I've had this conversation with people uh, on Instagram before trying to explain to me why a evil campaign is actually a lot of fun or it can be really cool. Um, I guess it depends on the, maybe the maturity level of the people you're playing with. And I don't just mean by their age, but their mental maturity, because there are evil characters in film and in novels that are very interesting. Uh, and so it could be done if it was done well, but, uh, I tend to like, I just like the hero. I want to see the, the small guy or girl come from nowhere, rise up and, and fight off the evil like that. That's exciting to me, you know? So, yeah. And that all comes with the trust between DM and player and the longer you play with people, the more trustworthy you are with them. So completely true. Uh, what do you think, Jim? Is that going to wrap us up for the main topic today? Uh, yeah. If you guys, uh, think that 
playing an evil character would be rad or if you guys have any suggestions or want to tell us about an evil player that you did uh email us at crystalball at 13sideddie.com perfect all right stick around uh we are going to come back in a minute and we're going to talk a little bit about um some non-sponsored items we'll be Ooh. right back not sponsored Hey guys, this is a segment that we've not done before. Very excited about it. Uh, we're going to talk about some items, some things that we are very interested in uh, that we're not being paid for, uh, but it's just stuff that we find really interesting and hopefully you do too. Uh, we have a couple on our list. I've not heard Jim's. Jim's not heard mine. I wonder if there's any that we have that are the same. That'll be fun. Uh, okay, Jim, why don't you kick it off? What do you have? So uh, not sponsored yet. Um, <laughs> Army Painter Speed Paints. Oh. If you're a DM and you need to get a lot of means painted to tabletop standard, these are a huge time saver. They're uh, like a base coat, wash, highlight, all in one. Uh, they're cheaper than the Citadel contrast paints, which are basically the same thing, but a different brand. Uh, in one painting session, I painted 21 cobalts, and that's actually wow. turned out really good. Dude, that's crazy. I I've not used any of those yet. I should get some, huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're a huge time saver. Yeah. Everyone, I've, anybody I've talked to who's used them can't say enough uh, good about them. Yeah. So. Cool. All right. My thing on my list, the first one, is something you guys are hearing right now. It is the Yeti Blue Microphones. Uh, when Jim and I started this, I have a lapel mic that I use. Uh, a lot of times when I'm doing um, videos and stuff, I'll have a lapel mic so it picks up uh, my voice. And I did our first uh, episode zero with it and it worked okay, but it just, I didn't think it was good enough. So um, I went out and bought one of the Yeti blue mics. Jim uses one as well. His is actually blue in color, mine's black. So I don't know if mine's a Yeti black, I, I don't know. Uh, bl a blue black, um, but uh, these were insane. I, I have to say, and I, I've had a career quite a bit in technology and stuff, and so I'm pretty familiar with things, but I don't think I've had a device as easy to use as this. Like, I literally plugged it in, uh, and it worked. The USB plug-in, and it just worked. Everything was recognized, didn't install anything, and it just worked. Uh, it was so simple to use. It sounds great, and uh, yeah, hats off to these guys. They've If you need a, a half-decent microphone, it's not super expensive, uh, highly recommend it. They are phenomenal. Yeah, as someone who's a caveman with electronics, I can definitely back that up, that they're super easy to use. <laughs> yeah, nothing works like that, that it just works. That's crazy. No. <laughs> I, I was expecting install driver, do this, set that up, have some kind of setup window. No, it just plugged in and worked. Awesome. Thank you, Yeti. Awesome. What do you got, buddy? Uh, my next one is Rory's Story Cubes. Uh, these are a must in a DM toolkit. I use them in most of my games. It's a pack of nine six-sided dice. Each die has six different pictures on it, and each die is different. Uh, they have different themes of story cubes, but I, of course, have the fantasy set. Uh, so there's, like, pictures of, like, a wizard and a chest and a devil and a knight and so on and so forth. So the point of them is that you roll all nine dice or however many you decide to roll, and then you have to make a story rearranging all the pictures uh, in whatever order you want, right? So, cool. um, yeah, I use them as a fun way to describe what happens during the fast travel in my games. And, of course, my players abuse them as, you know, players like to find those little loopholes. <laughs> and uh, they, were they would always make sure that the um, 
stories ended with them finding treasure. So I just started throwing uh, cursed items at that, and that really slowed that down. But uh, yeah, they're awesome. Highly recommend. Cool. I'm unfamiliar with those, but now I'm very intrigued. Um, my next item, this is something that I uh, was recently mentioning on my Instagram feed, so anybody who follows me would have seen it there. Uh, Lord of the Rings Deluxe Edition. Uh, this came out last year. And, uh, dude, I was literally blown away. It's beautiful. Um, it's, first of all, it's a neat cardboard box with the map of Middle Earth kind of all over the box in black and white. Christopher Tolkien's map looks amazing. You open the box up, and then it's this beautiful one solid volume, hardback volume, gold leaf on it. Um, it's red spine with kind of black, and there's the Eye of Sauron on it. it looks amazing. It has a, a kind of a cardboard sheath uh, contained in material cloth as well with a hole in the side, so you see the Eye of Sauron. The uh, spine of the book has raised proper little ridges like an old tome would look like. Um, very, very cool. Uh, inside, uh, there's um, big pull-out maps. Uh, there's a letter from uh, King uh, Elessar to Sam, which is really cool. And that's done in silver foil on black. Ooh. Yeah, it's so sick. Uh, written in uh, uh, Elvish. And then on the other side, it's got the translation. Uh, they've got letters from the uh, from Moria, the dwarves in Moria, that they find the letters in Lord of the Rings. Uh, they've got copies of those that look like they've been burnt and ripped. Oh, it just looks silly. Uh, it's also amazing. And the, the text is what's really, to me, most incredible is it's from um, the 50th anniversary back in, what, 2004, 2005, when Christopher Tolkien worked with everybody and they put together a revised edition of the text, which is closer to what um, J.R. Tolkien had wanted to put out. I guess when he released Lord of the Rings, it wasn't quite what he wanted. There was some concessions he made and some things. This is closer to exactly what he wanted. So there's some adaptations to the text. And over the years of publishing, things changed as well. So it's correcting any of those things. But what's really cool is there are over 30 illustrations of J.R. Tolkien's in with the story, in the place where they would happen in the story. So it's so cool to look through the book and see these amazing drawings that he did. Um, some very quick little sketches, some very elaborate paintings. Uh, super cool. Um, I, I can't, if you're interested, if you're a big fan of uh, Lord of the Rings, I can't you know, recommend this enough. It's such a great, great book. I was so happy to find it. It's just in a little bookstore in a little town. It was very cool. Awesome. Yeah, I'm glad uh, my birthday and Christmas are coming up. So <laughs> definitely put those on the list. <laughs> there you go. Uh, okay, what's your uh, next one? Uh, my last one is Coasters. Uh, no, it sounds kind of silly, but it stops your messy friends from wrecking your nice gaming table, and it helps them with immersion. Uh, my favorite coasters, uh, you guys won't be able to see, but I'll show Sean here, are my gelatinous cube coasters. Cool. Uh, the talented uh, Vecna's Laboratory on Instagram. She makes them out of resin and adventuring bits and stuff. Neat. And she sells them on our Etsy. Uh, they just look so cool, and it gets everyone else stoked for the fancy stuff. Close second, my strong jaw ale coasters nice. I got from Critical Role during the first campaign. So that was cool. There's just so many awesome makers on Etsy that make coasters too. But And I, I need to say that uh, and a bunch of you people out there already know this, but Epic Jim is probably one of the best supporters of crafters, of makers. He buys stuff from everybody. I don't know anyone who buys more stuff than Jim. Just and most of the time, it's him supporting people. It's really cool. So, hats off to you, buddy. You do a beautiful job. It means a lot to all of us who you do support like that. You're a great guy. So, thank you. And I'm sure, uh, uh, you know, the uh, sorry. Who who did the coasters? Uh, Vecna's laboratory. 
yeah, I'm sure they really appreciate that. So good, good shout out to them, buddy. Yeah. And then, uh, bringing that Sean, Sean has a shop an Etsy shop. (laughs) Jim is also my salesman. (laughs) Yeah. I also got stuff from there, which is immaculate stuff. So thanks buddy. Thank you everyone for making cool stuff for us to all buy. And if we don't buy it, you guys won't keep making it. So it's important that we all support everybody. Totally true. Uh, my last item is a little different. Uh, it's kind of interesting. Something I've gotten into just uh, fairly recently, and uh, it is a online uh, entity. It's called Mid Journey, all one word, and uh, it is an uh, AI that you punch a bunch of words into, and it'll create images for you. And uh, some of you might have played with it already. It is pretty wacky, crazy. Uh, you can do it through their online web app or connect it to your Discord. Like I can literally see it on the side of my Discord channel right now. And uh, it is really, really crazy. Like you, the more descriptive you can be, the more interesting and closer and you refine what you're doing. And it literally, you punch in a bunch of phrases and then maybe define, like you might say you want it very dramatic. You want it very detailed. You want, and you can you know list things like that, uh, cinematic lighting, things like that. And it'll create an image for you. And then of course you'd be punching things like say, maybe it's vampire, face, fangs, red cape, cinematic lighting, uh, you know, things like that. And you could say, if you wanted to cartoon and it would generate it as a cartoon, you could name artists that exist and it would try and match that. It takes all of these things in the world and it creates basically a royalty-free public use image uh, that you or anybody can use. And it generates it randomly by comparing and looking at all different things. It's really crazy wacky. It is, you know, stage what's two or stage three of the uh, robot uprising um, for artificial intelligence. Super cool. You can do 25 uh, free uh, attempts at creating imagery, and then you use up your 25, and then after that, you have to subscribe. Uh, Base subscription is about $10 a month. So it sounds really interesting, and some of you might be saying, like, why would I want to do that? It sounds really interesting, but why would I want to do that? Um, If you're not an amazing artist and can't generate imagery, I I see really two great uses of this. First one is if you are a DM – uh, myself, we talked about this before, I like to go and show my players what they're experiencing. So maybe somebody that they're facing off against or maybe what the environment looks like or that kind of thing. And I wind up spending a ton of time when I'm putting a game together, finding that imagery. And because I'm not using it to make any money from it, it's just for a game, I can use pretty much anything. It doesn't have to be royalty free. But still even that, searching for the right image that might want to look like something you want to look like, it can be. I can waste time looking for that and I'm ridiculous. I get so pedantic wanting to find the exact image that I see in my brain. I'll waste my time. This is kind of cool because I probably could generate something with this if I mucked about with it for a little bit and come up with something that works really well. So I think for a DM, it could be a great tool for that. Second thing is that if you are a maker and you want to create something really cool, and this can be a great inspiration thing. So if you were trying to create some really cool... Um, like a statue, you could punch a bunch of words into it. It could kick back some really cool looking, interesting statues that you could use as inspiration to make yourself. So I think it can be a really cool inspiration, um, you know, kind of fountain to look for stuff. So anyways, called mid journey. Uh, if you want to check it out, uh, you can, you know, punch a bunch of stuff into it for free and try it out. And if you like it, you can subscribe and kind of go from there. That is the, uh, thing that I've been kind of looking at lately. And, uh, I think it's kind of cool. Cool. Yeah. For one, I, uh, I welcome our AI overlords and uh, yeah, that's genius. Cause I've played with a version of that. It's just a cheap free version. Yeah. 
and uh, me and just a bunch of friends at work, uh, you know, mess around for a shift, you know, monkey in a bathtub with a machine gun or, you know, we were we weren't using it to its full potential, obviously, but that's that's really brilliant, Sean. That's a good idea. Yeah, it's pretty cool stuff. Uh, I created a really cool kind of like female vampire character, like in a couple of minutes. And it looked really sick. It was pretty cool. cool. Yeah. So anyways, kind of neat stuff. Yeah. Uh, awesome list, man. I, I enjoyed those. Yeah. If uh, any of you out there have anything that you are really uh, into and would like us to maybe mention, please drop us a line and uh, we can certainly do so. As you guys have seen, uh, we like to do a main topic at the beginning and then uh, we do kind of a secondary smaller segment and they change uh, each show and we'll get to the point where we do loop around and come back to them. Uh, we are also looking at maybe having guests in the future. So at some point we might have a couple of uh, guests on the show and there's a few people we've already kind of chatted to a little bit about that. They might be kind of fun to have three of us, uh, you know, kind of talking over each other and stuff. It'd be great. Maybe we can get a big argument or something. That'd be fun. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, yeah. Anything else to add, Jim? Oh, I think so. If you guys like that stuff, uh, let us know. That sounds awesome. Thanks so much, everybody, for your support. We are just blown away by the numbers that keep coming in. Uh, you guys are just fantastic. It's just ridiculous how many people have listened to the show and the great comments we've had from people. Uh, super, super great support. Uh, we love all of you. Um, Jim doesn't. Jim doesn't like anybody. That's not true. I love you all. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Appreciate and love you all, my friends. That's awesome. All right, that wraps up this segment, and uh, we'll be back here in a second to maybe chat about next show. Next time on 13-Sided Die. Okay, guys, uh, let us be 100% honest with you. Uh, it has been very busy the last uh, couple of weeks here uh, for both Jim and myself, and uh, we actually came today with some preparation for the actual episode, but zero preparation for what next episode would be. Is that a fair assessment, Jim? Oh, yes. Uh, but <laughs> we, it's going to be cool. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be our best episode yet. Yeah. Oh, I guarantee it'll be our best episode yet. <laughs> but we don't know theme. what it is. We yeah, don't know the what theme's it is. just, we just it's don't know yet. So. It's not there yet. And, and, you know, we just thought, let's let's just, you know, let the cards uh, fall where they lay and, and, you know, we'll just put it out there. And we, we will come up with something between now and then. Tune in to find out what that is. It's a, it's a cliffhanger, this episode. That's cool. So, uh, yeah, come back for the greatest episode ever next time on 13-Sided Die. Thanks, everyone. Good night. Well done, you. You've made it to the end of the podcast. You are a bold adventure, to be sure. Remember to fill your wire skin and to have your blade sharpened at the blacksmith's before departing. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to our podcast to be notified of new 13-sided die adventures. And don't forget to tell your friends about the silly fools talking about D&D. 13-sided die has been brought to you by Sean and Jim. Executive produced by Sean and Jim. Mini painting by Sean and Jim. Engineered by Sean and Jim. Goblin torture device by Sean and Jim. Conceptualized by Sean and Jim. Please note, no goblins were harmed in the making of this podcast. <laughs>